Amen. You know, what a great honor it is to be in God's house today. And are you all ready for some truth? Are you ready for the truth? You know, we, we focus on Christ and we focus on him alone. And, and those are the things that, you know, we read God's word and, and we want to know what God's word says and, and what a blessing it is. And uh, today, um, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world. We live in the, the greatest state in the world. <laughs> And what a, what a blessing it is to, to live in Texas and to live in the United States. And, you know, our, our, our nation is probably more divided now than it's ever been. And I want to speak about that this morning. And, and I want you to understand something. This is, I love Jesus with all my heart. I'm glad to be an American. But you need to understand something. My loyalty is going to be to Jesus Christ above all above all. And um, today I want to talk about living with people from other cultures. And uh, sometimes we don't like to think about that. We, you know, we, we tend to, to shy away from that or, you know, with our nation as divided as it is. You know, when we moved to Texas uh, 23 years ago last month, or next month, excuse me, we'd never heard of Whataburger. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like we never heard of Whataburger or Big Red or uh, even chili without beans. And we understood that everything was bigger in Texas. We got that, okay? We didn't fully comprehend what it meant that Texas was a republic before it was a state. Okay, and so um, there was, there's an independence here, a culture here that is different from anywhere else. And on top of that, we landed in Colleen, smack dab in the middle of Westside Baptist Church, which is a black congregation. So we were experiencing a great deal of culture shock. Coming from Oregon, we were there in Colleen, um, even just attending a service at Westside was a deeply cultural experience. I mean, everyone was dressed to the nines. I mean, I'd never even seen a purple suit before, you know, with spats and the hat that matches and all of that. We were not prepared for the three-hour worship services. I wasn't prepared for the multiple offerings that they took throughout the, our time together. I mean, I was pretty well tapped out after that first service. Now understand, in the black church, all the ministers sit in the rostrum. All the ministers sit up here in the front. And they, they're, they're, they're amening you while you're preaching. And in, the, in, the, in the, this church, the deacons all sat in one row right over here on the side. And there was no doubt about who was there and what was going on. So that first Sunday morning, I remember Pastor Halle Tolbert. He leaned over and I was sitting in the rostrum with the other ministers. And he leans over to me and he says, uh, Brother Ridge, uh, we want your family to, to come and sing uh, a song for us. totally impromptu. I didn't know about this ahead of time because I probably wouldn't have been sitting up there. So he tells me, he says, the service is going on. 
He says, I want you to go back and let Mrs. Tracy know and bring the kids up and a whole family. And um, I'm thinking she's not going to like this when I go back there and tell her this. You know, so I go back there and I whisper in her ear what the pastor wants to do. And, 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 and she says, okay, you go ahead. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 you don't understand. He wants our whole family to come up and sing. And she was, you know, she, any color that was left in her face was gone at that point. She looked like she had seen a ghost. And I said, tell you what, just follow my lead. And she was like, okay. Well, I got up there. I, I, I told him, I said, we're going to sing a couple of ver verses of victory in Jesus. And so, you know, the, the family stood up there. She was up there. And I was playing the piano. And we were singing. And I don't know how we made it through, but we did. And I tell you, on that day, Westside Baptist Church fell in love with the Adams family. And we fell in love with them. You know, a couple of weeks later, Pastor Tolbert asked me uh, to preach. And so I was preaching for the first time at Westside. And I never had a congregation talk back to me the way they did. That's right. <laughs> and I mean, I was, I was preaching and I was like 45 minutes. I know this is crazy. I was 45 minutes and I was just getting to my first point. And they kept telling me, take your time, preacher. Take your time. So, man, it was, you know, it was one of those things. But not long after that, I was ordained to the gospel ministry at Westside. And we will always, always have a deep love and respect for Westside Baptist Church and our family there. But, you know, when God called me into his service, I believe with all my heart that God calls us to build bridges across cultural lines. And over racial barriers, across generational lines, and denominational barriers, to be that bridge builder and peacemaker with all types of people, to be like Christ who tore down the wall of separation. It says in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You know, I've been all over the world since coming to Memorial. And I just want to thank you, church, for allowing me to go and teach discipleship to pastors and other and, and encourage missionaries all over the world. I mean, I've been to Haiti twice. I've been to Nicaragua three times. Africa, I've been to Kenya twice. No, three times. Tanzania twice. Uh, West Sumatra, Indonesia. Teaching discipleship. Teaching others what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and encouraging our missionaries in those places. And this is what I have discovered. People are people wherever you go. People are people wherever you go, and people have the same needs. People everywhere need the love of God, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, I, and I, I submit to you because I, I feel like this morning, as we sit here, um, this may hit you right between the eyes. It may stomp all over your feet. 
But understand, this is what God's word says. On the topic of living with people of other cultures, as a backdrop, I remind you of two verses. One is in Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. And this is my paraphrase, but it says something like this. We are all made in the image of God. He made us male and female. We are all made in the image of God. He made us male and female. And secondly, in Acts uh, Acts 10, Peter's sermon, he said this. He said, God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Two big statements there. We're all made in his image. He made us male and female. And he doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So understand that Christ's kingdom, the kingdom that Christ is the king of, is ethnically different than you may think. It's ethnically different. In Luke chapter four, we're gonna be reading a few verses there. Uh, Luke chapter four, verse 16 down through 30. And if you have your scripture and wanna open up to that, it's a very um, uh, popular passage. It's one that we've, we've probably seen many times. But I, I wanna read this and then, and then uh, ask God's uh, Holy Spirit just to guide us in this. But in verse 16, chapter four of Luke, it says this. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It says, and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up from, for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, He went his way. 
Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that even now that you would convict our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would magnify the Lord Jesus in our hearts. Father, that we would see him in his glory. Father, that we would recognize what you have called us to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. Guide us as we study your word. Illuminate in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here you have this homegrown boy who is in his hometown. He's coming back to Nazareth after really making a name for himself out in Capernaum in the area around there. He comes back to Nazareth and he he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and a a crowd comes to hear him. And what he does in this message is incredible. He almost incites a riot and he does it intentionally. I mean, first they gave him the scroll of Isaiah to read and he turns to the uh, chapter 61 there and and he, he chooses that chapter and it's about the coming redeemer. It's about the Messiah and what the Messiah is coming to do. And then he says that, 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 that in their hearing, <laughs> this scripture has been fulfilled. In other words, this scripture is being fulfilled today, right now. And he, That was amazing. You know, headlines, homegrown boy claims to be the Messiah. Now that doesn't cause a riot. That doesn't sound too bad. And verse 22 says, and they were all speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. I mean, so far so good, right? But what he says next is completely unexpected. I mean, it's odd if he's wanting, a, if someone is wanting a following. It's, it's baffling if, if he's talk, talking about church growth. He chooses to tell two stories from the Old Testament that fly right into the face of ethnocentrism. I know that's a big word. It means they were focused on their own race, if you will. And I'm not sure if he could have been more offensive at this time. See, ethnocentrism is the conviction or the feeling that my ethnic group should be treated superior or privileged. Folks, there's a lot of that going on in our nation. A lot of ethnocentrism. People feeling like they're... they're, uh, Their ethnic group should be treated as superior or privileged. You see, the Jews were a very, very proud people. They had a a wonderful history. You know, we are the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are the sons and daughters. We are the chosen people of God, the, the, the house of Israel. And he knows what their response is going to be because in verse 24, he said, truly, A prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. In other words, you're speaking well of me now because I'm telling you what you want to hear about the Messiah. While you have your own conception of what the Messiah will do and what his kingdom will be like, but wait till I tell you what I am about to do and what my kingdom will be like. And then he goes and he tells them the story in verse 25 and 26. 
He tells them about Elijah. And out of the blue, he tells them about God passing over, God passing over all the ethnic Jews to bring a miraculous blessing to a Gentile, to a foreigner in the land of Sidon. And he does this blatantly and forcefully and without softening the explanation. And he said, there were many widows in Israel and God chose to bless a foreigner. Talk about a sobering fact. And if that were not enough, he tells a second story in verse 27 from 2 Kings 5. And the point again is of all the people that God might have chosen to heal of leprosy. He chose a foreign king, a Syrian, a Gentile, and not a Jew. See, these two stories were not lost on the nationalistic racism of Nazareth. I mean, verse 28, it says, and the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill and they were gonna throw him off the cliff. Oh, they were ticked. They were upset. They get it and they don't like it. They understood exactly what he was saying and they didn't like it. And so they wanted to kill him. Moments earlier, they were singing his praises. Moments earlier, they were singing uh, about how the gracious words were falling off of his lips. And now they want to run him out of town and throw him off the hill and kill him. They got it. And what's the point of this story? The point is the kingdom that I am bringing, Jesus says, is ethnically different from what you think. It's not going to look like the way you think it will look. Your chosen people as Israel has not produced humility and compassion for all the nations. Rather, it's produced pride and scorn. See, Jesus is the end of ethnocentrism. He says, look to me, look from me, he said, learn from me. I have come to redeem a people from every ethnic group, not just one, not just a few, but all people from all the nations. And grief is yours for your failure to usher in the justice and the mercy of God. His zeal to gather from all ethnicities, a people, a kingdom of children, of priests, of friends. That's why God chose them as the chosen people to begin with is so that his mercy would flow through them so that they would be a people filled with compassion. And yet they were filled with pride and scorn for everybody else. You know, in Acts 17, in Peter's sermon, he says he made from one man every nation of humanity to live on the earth and determined their appointed times and boundaries. You know, Ephesians 2, as Gentiles, we used to be separated from God, having no hope, but now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by his blood. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he tears down the walls. He, he tears down all the, the barriers. He, he makes us one in him. You know, sometimes we have the paralysis of imperfection. 
You know, when we think about making disciples of all the nations, it isn't because we're mature and ready to reproduce ourselves. The problem is if we wait, which most of us do, rather than going and making disciples, we wait until we think we have everything ready. We think we have arrived. But folks, if you wait till you have everything you need to take on a task, you'll never do it. You'll never marry. If you wait till you're ready to be married, you'll never stay married. You'll never take that first job or, or even keep it. You'll never go into missions or, or stay there. Or you'll never have children or start a ministry if you're waiting for everything to be perfect. See, few things paralyze good people more than our imperfections. Oh, that God would raise up a people who would listen and learn and let go of the paralyzing criticism of the naysayers. Sometimes it's our own self-criticism. We need to let it go. We need to believe what God says about us. See, we don't aim to make disciples because we have perfection, but because we have a commission and a dream. Making disciples of all the nations is Jesus' great commission to us. And one of the ways I think about making disciples is that we are discipling people who are committed to live for a great cause and not for great comfort. Oh, we are all about our comfort. We have to live for a great cause. You know, I've preached before. We have to be a good model of Jesus Christ. As we live our lives, we have to be a good model for Jesus Christ, for those around us, to be a good model to, and then entrust truth to, to reliable disciples who can then teach others. And I would also say that we need to minister for Christ in difficult times and places. Every time I've been on a mission trip, I've been uncomfortable. Every time I've been on a mission trip, I've been out of my comfort zone. Anytime that God has asked me to do something, it has put me out of my comfort zone. You know, we're living in an RV right now. I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, it's one of those things I told Tracy the other day, I said, I feel like I'm on a mission trip. It's like, is it time to go home yet? But you know what I'm saying? When we're called to something, we will be willing to suffer and to serve in difficult times and places. We need to live our lives for a great cause. You know, to get up in the morning and to go to bed at night dreaming not about how to advance my comforts, but how to advance some great God-centered cause. I mean, making disciples means discipling people who don't spend themselves day in and day out pursuing self-preservation or self-exaltation or self-recreation, but people who pursue something bigger, something greater, something bigger, something greater than themselves, than their family, something greater than their own church. You see, that's what it means to make disciples of all the nations. So I ask this question, what is the greater cause that you are living for today? What is the greater cause that you are living for? 
You know, it seems like as a nation, all that we do is just shout at each other. It's like, could, could we just stop that? Could we just take it down a notch and, and have dialogue and just talk rather than, than shouting at one another? I mean, I think that would be a great step in the right direction. Amen. That that would please and honor God if we would just take it down a notch Stop with the rhetoric, stop with the joke, stop with all the junk, and just have a dialogue with people that we don't understand. Let's start there. Could you say that it is the grand cause of your life to magnify Jesus Christ through God-centered and Bible-saturated cultural harmony? coming together and grabbing hands with other people who are different than you are for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because really that's what he calls us to. He doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to come and sit in an air-conditioned church once a week. He calls us to racial reconciliation. He calls us to, be, to come across the aisle and to, to reach out to others. Would you reach out with the gospel to all people, regardless of their skin color, regardless of where they are in, in the economic uh, food chain, if you will, or their background, but to build bridges with all types of people? See, I believe that would honor God. Oh, that God would raise up against all the self-centeredness, against all the temporary loyalties and undisciplined devotion, men and women who sustain a great cause. Not the way adrenaline works, but the way your heart works. Adrenaline produces a spurt of needed energy. And then you know what happens? It lets the body drop. But the heart, it keeps pumping life into the body, in good times, in hard times, in winter and in summer, in sad and happy, in strong and weak, in sick and in well times, it keeps on giving. See, we need more coronary Christians in the cause of racial reconciliation and not just adrenal Christians. Because my point is this, it takes time. It takes a lot of time to make a disciple. It takes a lot of time to build bridges with other people. It takes commitment. It takes energy. It takes effort to make disciples and to build bridges. So if we want to put God at the center and exalt Christ, I mean, let's go to the Gospels and let's see what Jesus says about this and watch Jesus as he puts an end to this ethnocentrism. See, I submit to you this morning that faith in Jesus is better than our ethnicity. Amen. Faith is, in Jesus is better than being an American. Faith in Jesus is better than living in Texas. Faith in Jesus is better than anything I've ever experienced in my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking about it today. Faith in Jesus is better than our ethnicity. Have I gone too far in pronouncing a woe on these people of Nazareth? You decide. 
You decide as you, as we quickly look at one more story, and I'll be done here in just a moment. Matthew 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. You know, Jesus finishes speaking on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Matthew 8, he goes in the first four verses, he heals a leper. He touches a person who has leprosy and heals them. The most despised, ostracized of all people in Israel. And he reaches out and heals him. And then the very next verse, he enters Capernaum and he meets the second most despised and offensive kind of person, a Roman centurion. They were occupying their country. (laughs) This would have been, you know, viewed probably like an American Marine to a Taliban freedom fighter. Like, what are you doing here? But it says there that this man was despised, but he actually had some popularity among the Jews. And that's kind of passed over by Matthew. It's not relevant for his point. His point is that the man is a foreigner and he's a non-Jew. That's Matthew's point. So the centurion begs Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed in my home, fearfully tormented. Without the slightest question, without the slightest hesitation, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. He says, Lord, don't do that. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. All you need to do is say the word. I'm a person of authority and I can command men. And when I say go, they go. And when I say come here, they come. He said, all you need to do is say the word. You don't even need to go to my home. And Jesus, when he hears this in verse 10, He says, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Wow, that's quite a statement. I have not found such faith with anyone in Israel. And he goes on in verse 11 and he says, I say to you that many will come from east and from west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many will come from the east and from the west. I mean, what's he talking about? What is that? That's Phoenicia, that's the Gaza Strip, that's Egypt, that's Greece, that's Arabia, that's Persia, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, China. And what will happen when they come? These foreigners with their uncircumcised, unkosher, foreign ways and foreign looks. Jesus says they're going to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Now, folks, this is super jarring. (laughs) I mean, you must feel the force of this. I mean, here is Jesus saying that the chosen people of Israel, (laughs) that first Romans, like this centurion, And then all kinds of unclean ethnic Gentiles will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's almost heard of to speak of God's chosen people in this way. To say that they will be pushed out into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But what he's saying is 
He, Jesus, is the end of ethnocentrism. To put it more positively, Jesus is saying that with his coming, there is a radically new way of defining the people of God here, namely by faith in him. Faith in Jesus is greater than our ethnicity. Over and over in the Gospels, this happens, and I'm almost done. The story of the Good Samaritan, what happens? It's a foreigner who's the hero of compassion in that story. The healing of the 10 lepers, only one returns. And what is he? He's a Samaritan. A foreigner shines out with humble gratitude. The, hearing, the, the healing of the Syrophoenician daughter, the worshiping of the wise men from the east, probably from Persia or Arabia, and finally the death and resurrection of Jesus with which he himself interprets and in advance the parable of the tenant that talks about in Matthew 21, the owner of the vineyard sends his son to gather fruit from his people and they kill him. And he says, what will the owner do? What will God do when his son is rejected by his chosen people? Verse 43 in Matthew 21 says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit from it. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do get that really bother me. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. See, it's not about the color of our skin. It's not about the color of your skin, but it's about your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I want to end with this story from uh, Dr. E.V. Hill, great pastor. He was once asked if he thought Jesus was Caucasian, the way he's presented in all of the paintings. And this was his reply. He said, I don't know anything about a white Jesus. I know about Christ, a savior named Jesus. I don't know what color he is. He was born in the brown Middle East. He fled to black Africa and he was in heaven before the gospel got to white Europe. So I don't know what color he is. But I do know one thing. If you bow at the altar with color on your mind, you'll get up with color on your mind. He said, go back again and again and keep going back until you no longer look at his color, but at his greatness, at his power, and at his power to save. Amen. That's my Lord. His word says, for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It's not a matter of our skin color. He's for all people. And he's for those who produced the fruit of his kingdom. For he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. 
I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your example. And Father, I I ask that you would forgive us as a nation. Father, you gave us the opportunity to be a humble nation filled with compassion, filled with grace, filled with mercy. And instead, Father, we've made it into a pride thing. Father, where we are so filled with pride that we don't get it. But Father, I pray that in this time, in this nation, that you would call your people, those who claim to belong to Jesus Christ, that Father, we would lead the way in bringing peace to this nation. Father, that we would be the ones who are reconcilers, that we would be the ones who are bridge builders with people of other ethnicities, of other cultures, of other religions, of of other people who are different from us. But Father, that we would be the ones reaching out. And God, that you would bear fruit in our lives as we go and seek your great commission of making disciples of all the nations. Father, that those who are of the world would see us and say there is something different about them. They love people. They love all people. Father, I pray that you would bring unity in the midst of all of the nations. And Father, that we could rally around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we would give our lives for His great cause. Not ours, not our comfort, not for our family, not putting everything else first. But Father, that we would be about Your kingdom work. May it be so in each one of our lives. Father, forgive us where we have failed you, when we've made it about us and not about the Lord Jesus. Guide us as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.